We're going to be in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19 this morning. We've been walking through the book of Acts, telling the story of the early church, really telling the story of God at work in the early believers. And we've been walking through, and we have, have now walked through three major climactic points, I've told you these last couple of weeks. The first real climax of Acts comes when, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and the early believers are in the room, and, and the Spirit comes and, and comes into the room, dances like fire on their head, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, works and lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And then, and then we come to the conversion of Saul. Another climactic moment. Saul becomes the main leader. Paul becomes the main leader of the church. And he, he gives us most of the New Testament. His conversion is significant. It's a climactic point through the book of Acts. And then last week we looked at the third climactic point that comes here in Acts. It's the story of Cornelius. It's the story of the Spirit coming and moving and living in the Gentile people. It's Peter having a dream and Cornelius having a dream and that all coming to fruition. Last week we looked specifically at that story of, of Cornelius' dream and, and Peter's vision and, and together they have this, this picture that they are to, to unite. Cornelius calls for Peter to come. Peter does come, but before that has this vision of these clean and unclean animals coming down like, a, like out of a, in a sheet from heaven. And, and God, Jesus, if you remember last week, we noted that those words are in red, if you have Jesus' words in red. Jesus himself says, Peter, eat. And he says, but I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus replies back and says, don't let anything that God has made be called common. And so, Peter heads to Cornelius' home. He preaches, he points directly to Jesus, and in mid-sermon, in mid-message that Peter's about to give, the Holy Spirit comes and lands on the Gentiles, and now the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And Peter sees that, and, and in fact, heads back to Jerusalem not long after this has happened, after he is, we talked last week, after he learned the deliciousness and delicacies of bacon, he heads back to Jerusalem now, and when he gets there, the, the early disciples, the apostles say, what has happened? How, how can this happen? Their understanding of what the gospel was was that it was for Jewish people. We'll, we'll talk about that here again this morning. And they cannot believe what Peter is telling them. And so Peter, again, retells the story. He tells of Cornelius' vision. He tells of his vision that God gave to him. And he says, and as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And then Peter says, who am I to stand in God's way? If this is what God is going to do, who am I to try to disrupt it or to stand in the way of it? And the, Gen or the Jewish people in, in Jerusalem, we closed with last week, celebrated. They said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And they glorified God in saying that. So today, now, we are going to begin to see that truth show up even more. So we're going to turn to the city of Antioch. Let's read together here in chapter 11, starting in verse 19. It's page 920. If you're using a pew Bible, it'll also be on the screen. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold of the Spirit, by the Spirit, that there would be a great famine over all of the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Luke, in this passage, turns again the story, turns the camera focus again away from where we have been and now focuses it in a new place, in the city of Antioch. If you're like me, it's probably helpful, I think, to have a a, a picture, at least, of the geography. And so I have a map. You might not be able to see it very well on the screen here, but you probably can flip to the back of your Bible, especially if you have a study Bible, and find maps very similar to this one, at least, showing some of the, the travels of Paul. So this map here, the, the bottom um, down here where the lines start to curve out, that is Jerusalem. That's, that's where everything got started in the book of Acts. And way up at the top, uh, to, the, to the right where the yellow and green lines come and the, and the circle of the blue line there, that is Antioch up there. So these, are the, these colors are the travels of some who traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then that blue circle is, is Barnabas going to Tarsus to get Saul and to bring him back to Antioch. But you can see Antioch and Jerusalem, they are not close together. They are, are significantly spread apart. It would take a, many days to travel from Jerusalem to get to Antioch. This was a big deal. People who had traveled to Antioch during the persecution of Stephen, they had traveled a long ways away trying to escape from Saul, trying to escape the persecution that was coming on the church in Jerusalem at that time. We talked about that earlier at the stoning of Stephen, that then they scattered. These people scattered all the way to Antioch. It would have been a large city. Antioch was the third largest city in the known world at that time. There would have been Rome, which was the capital of the Roman Empire. They would have been on the north and and west side of this empire. Then we would have had uh, Alexandria, which is in Egypt, on the southern side. Alexandria would have been been formed during Alexander the Great's time. It would have been a significant, large city. And then Antioch here would have been the third largest city in the world at that time. Antioch uh, is the middle 
It's hard to see on that map, but it's the middle of, of several trade routes coming from, from the east off to the to the those capitals, Rome and Alexandria in the west. Uh, again, it would have been the, the spot where people would have traveled from north to south. They would have come through Antioch. It wasn't very far off of the sea, and so they would have had lots and lots of people that would have come through Antioch. Antioch uh, became a hub, a hub of the world, really, at that time. Everything went through Antioch, or most things went through Antioch. And we're about to find that Antioch becomes the hub of the early church, especially for Saul, or for, for Saul, soon to be Paul and Barnabas. Antioch becomes where they start many of their travels from. In Antioch, there's, there's lots of, as you would imagine, there's lots of wealth and sophistication in the city of Antioch because all of those travel routes come through Antioch. There's great wealth that comes there. They, they consider themselves to be a very sophisticated city, but the flip of that is also true. There's, there's lots of, of carnality. There's lots of, of there, there's a seedy side to the city as well, as, as well as lots and lots of pagan worship that happens in Antioch. There's temples for a number of gods and goddesses in the city of Antioch at this time. But, as we read here in Acts chapter 11, the gospel has reached Antioch. Believing Jews have left Jerusalem because of the persecution. They have left Jerusalem and they have showed up in Antioch. And they're taking the call that Jesus gave them in chapter 1 verse 8 to go into the world declaring the gospel. They have taken that seriously. And so the Jewish people come to Antioch and they begin to preach the name of Jesus. It tells us that they are speaking the word to no one except Jews. They're speaking the word, they're taking it seriously, they're doing what they've been called to do, but only to the Jewish people. At this time, at this time, the early church, those early believers really believe that this gospel that came was just for them. They were God's chosen people. And so far to this day, as we have read through the book of Acts, so far there has been, there has been a number of times that non-Jewish people, that Gentile people, have come to faith, but there is no time until we get to this portion of Scripture, there's no time that, that a Jewish person sought out to evangelize to a Gentile, to a non-Jewish person. We find, we find a story of, of the Samaritans. They, if you remember that story where in, in Samaria, uh, where, the, where Simon the Magician was, uh, there is a, a group that comes to faith. In fact, they call, they call Peter up to verify it. But, but even Samaritans were partly Jewish. And so there wasn't a story there. there there's this, the story of Philip and the, the Ethiopian, but God just moves Philip there, the Ethiopian, is already a God-fearer. He's already reading through Isaiah chapter 53 when he gets there. And so there's no seed of evangelism that gets started there. Even, even the last story that we just looked at with Peter and Cornelius, God gives a vision to Cornelius, and, and Cornelius goes and gets Peter, sends someone to go and get Peter and bring Peter to him to preach the gospel. There's no intentional sharing of the gospel outside the Jewish circles towards anyone else until 
we come to this portion of scripture right here in Acts chapter 11. When they first came to Antioch, they were speaking the word to no one except Jews, and yet there's some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Can you believe? We have all these names all through the book of Acts, but we have no idea who these men are from Cyprus and Cyrene. They change everything here. These men begin to preach and teach to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord is on them. Preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord is on them. That, that is the way the gospel is shared. That's the way that the gospel goes forth. That's the way that Jesus' name, that our hope in Jesus spreads out. That we preach the Lord Jesus Christ and that the hand of the Lord is on them. That's exactly the means and the method and the mode of the gospel. We are called to declare, to promote, to preach, to tell, to share. We are called to preach the Lord Jesus. And while we do that, God does the prompting and the convicting and the drawing and the saving. The hand of the Lord is at work. Both of those things work together to bring the gospel to those that need to hear. And we need to have both of those things. We need to be intentional and diligent about doing what we've been called to do. We need to go, just like the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, we need to go and preach the Lord Jesus. And then we trust that God will work the results, that the hand of the Lord will be on them. That's what Luke tells us happens here. The men of Cyprus and Cyrene come to Antioch. They speak to the Hellenists. They speak to those who are outside of the Jewish line. He speaks to those who are only Greek or other nations and races. Preaches the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord is on them. And a great number believe and turn to the Lord. God moves in their hearts. God helps them to see God rescues and redeems and restores them. And the report of that comes, comes to the ears in Jerusalem. Even the way that Luke phrases that, you can kind of begin to get that picture. The report of it comes to the ears of the apostles in Jerusalem. And you already know how they're going to respond. They've already been doing it. Early on, we got the picture when, when the gospel went to, to Samaria... And, and Peter goes to, to verify that this is, in fact, the, the case. And the, and the Holy Spirit actually works through Peter. Peter lays his hands on the believers, and the Holy Spirit comes through Peter's touch to the believers there in Samaria. If you remember that story, Simon wants to purchase that power. And then... Later, we, we see that Peter now is, is traveling around through some of those coastal cities to, to, again, hear and see the gospel, the gospel that's at work. He wants to, to verify that it has, in fact, the same gospel, the same belief, the same spirit that came to them at Pentecost that showed up in Jerusalem, that it's that same spirit that's showing up in these other churches and in these other areas. And... These, these apostles and, and these first respond, these first disciples 
they are very, very protective of the early church. They're very, very protective of the gospel early on. And in fact, as, as I was reading this and, 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 and thinking through this this week, thinking about the ears of the apostles beginning to hear that maybe the gospel has come to Antioch and it's coming to non-Jewish Hellenists, people who are outside what they perceive to be the plan, you can see that they might be anxious. They might be worked up a little bit. They might be wondering, how can this be the case? And, and may, maybe, maybe people are seeing that, they're thinking, maybe maybe. Maybe they just don't understand what was really supposed to happen. And so their first initial response is, we have to go send a verifier now all the way to Antioch. You saw how far away that was. We have to send a verifier to go and to make sure that this, in fact, is what is, is the real true gospel. And it's easy for us as we hear that to, to kind of get worked up a little bit. I can't believe that those stinking disciples, they're so, they're so, they just have, they're so controlling they want to just, they want to they grab it and they want to hold it. They want to keep it to themselves. They don't want to spread. And, and to get frustrated, to get frustrated with the disciples, to get frustrated with the apostles. And yet, as we really begin to think about it, we know, we know ourselves. We know our own hearts. We know how quickly we can make things, even these kinds of things, good things, saving things, gospel things, how we can begin to make them all about us. In fact, Paul's writings through his epistles over and over are reminding the church of the ways that they are supposed to worship and the ways that they are not supposed to worship. He's reminding them over and over the fruit of the Spirit are these things, not those things. Paul over and over has to remind the church that it's not about us, but it's about him. And so the disciples rightly, probably, wanted to make sure that the gospel was being preached clearly, that those who were believing understood it in the correct way. And so they sent a verifier to go to Antioch to check it out, to see what was being preached and what was being taught there. And so they send a man named Barnabas. Barnabas has already shown up a couple different times. We saw him earlier. Barnabas had, had, had sold a piece of land and given the money that he made from that land to the church and left it at the disciples' feet. Barnabas later is, is the, the man who Saul goes to when Saul arrives uh, in Jerusalem and, and wants to go to the disciples, but the disciples don't want any part of him. They, they're still afraid, even after several years, they're still afraid of Saul and, uh, and, and don't want any part of him. And so Saul goes to Barnabas, and Barnabas is the one that brings Saul into the group so that Peter and James are able to visit with Saul and share what they, what they know and what they experienced through Jesus. Barnabas is the one that do that. In fact, Barnabas, if you remember from Acts chapter 5, uh, Barnabas is not, his first, is not his given name. Barnabas' real name is Joseph, but the apostles, the disciples, call him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. And every time that Barnabas shows up here in the book of Acts, it is a delight. Barnabas is, Barnabas is the guy that everybody loves. 
Barnabas is the guy who, when you spend time with him, you feel great about yourself. Barnabas is that kind of guy. And, and I, I want you to have that picture because it's pretty important with what Barnabas has as, as he comes into Antioch. I want you to picture that, that, that person, a person like that that you know. And we all have them in our lives. Times when, when we spend some time with, with a good friend who encourages our heart and encourages our soul and we feel, we feel better. We feel encouraged. We feel enlightened when we get to spend time with them. That's who Barnabas was. Barnabas was an encourager, so much so that that's the name that his friends call him, that the apostles call him, son of encouragement. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. When Barnabas gets to Antioch, in verse 23, we see that he comes and he sees the grace of God. He comes and sees the grace of God, and he was glad. He was glad. He shows up, sees what's happening in these, the lives of these believers, sees their hearts, sees their attitudes, and doesn't say, doesn't say, yeah, you, you, I mean, this is probably the same gospel. This is probably the same spirit at work in me as, as what's in work in you, but, but you, don't have, you, don't have all the, you don't have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. You don't, you don't really understand all the details. He, he doesn't get into that. Says that when Barnabas comes, he sees what's happening, and he's glad. And he's glad. And then it says, and this is the way that Luke writes it, says when he came, he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Do what you're doing already, he says to them. Continue on in what you're learning. Continue on in the ways that you're responding. The way that you're living right now, continue doing that. Remain steady in what you're doing. He encourages them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then this is what Luke says in verse 24. Barnabas comes, he sees the grace, he's glad. He exhorts them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. For, because, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. There's several times in Acts where you read something and you think, Oh, wouldn't that be awesome to have that verse follow my name? Wouldn't that be awesome if at some point in history someone were to say, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I thought that this week with Barnabas. What a guy. Son of encouragement. Always a delight all through the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in him. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in him. The gifts of the Spirit are shining through him. God is at work in Barnabas, and people see it and know it and feel it. There's no hiding the fact that Barnabas is a believer, Barnabas is a follower of Jesus, Barnabas is true to the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is at work in him. He's glad. He exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose because Barnabas is a good man full of the Spirit and of faith. Oh, that we might be like Barnabas. Tells us, Luke tells us a great many people 
were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas does something else that should help us to remind us of what a good man he is. See, Barnabas could have stayed. A great many people have come to the Lord. A church is being planted in Antioch, and they need people They need people to teach. They need someone to lead the church. They need someone to train up these early believers. And Barnabas, he's the guy who has been sent from Jerusalem. The the apostles, the disciples, they have chosen to send Barnabas as a verifier to come to Antioch to make sure that everything is right. And when he gets there, it would seem natural that Barnabas would take over that role of leader and teacher in the early church especially because he's such a great guy. That's, that's what we want. we want. We want him to train them so that they might be like Barnabas. But Barnabas doesn't do that. Barnabas doesn't do that. Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, to search for Saul. Saul is probably, as many commentators have said, Saul probably has at this point been disinherited from his family because they were, they were hardcore, long-time Jewish family, well-established. That's why they sent Saul to go learn under Gamaliel. That's why Saul was able to rise through the ranks and to become the leader of the Pharisees that he was, because of his, partly because of his family. And now that he has become a believer, he no longer is connected to his family. So, So Barnabas goes to Tarsus to try to find him, searching for him, trying to find him wherever he is. And when he finds him, He brings him back to Antioch. Barnabas humbly looks for the best leader, for the best teacher, for the one who might lead these Hellenists, these believing Greeks, these non-Jewish believers. Barnabas decides that he wants what's best for them and he goes and finds the one who can better explain it, who can better teach it, than anyone else that he knows and searches him out and brings him to Antioch. This begins a partnership that we'll see here for the several chapters, a partnership that, that grooms Paul and helps Paul in a number of ways. We can probably assume that Paul, as we've already seen, is pretty hardcore at times. Saul is a go-getter. Saul is, 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 is there's, there's probably, nobody calls Saul or Paul the son of encouragement. And so Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, become a good pair together. They spend a year in Antioch teaching a great many people, it says. And then, in verse 26, it says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's really Luke, Luke is just helping us to see that this, this name, this moniker is going to spread throughout history. And Luke helps us to see where it comes from here in Antioch. But this title, Christians, is not a self-given title, probably. It's not the title that these believers gave to themselves. It's not the title that was given by the Jewish believers or the, the, the Jewish non-believers, excuse me, they would not have used the word Christ to call these other believers. It was probably a derogatory term, in fact. But it was a term that needed to come about because up until this point, 
in that area of the world, there were two groups of people. There were those who were Jewish, and there were those who were not. You were a Jew, or you were a Gentile. There was no other name. You either were in the group, the Jewish group, the chosen people, or you were not. And now, all of a sudden, here in Antioch, there's this group of people who who hold on to their Jewish heritage. They hold on to 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 the God of the Old Testament, but they also believe they also believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They also believe in Jesus as the Christ. And there's another group of people that are also in that same camp that are, that are not Jewish. They're, they're Gentiles and they're, and they're brought in just as if they're, they're full brothers and sisters into that group. And there's this group that's mixed of Jewish people and not Jewish people that are mixed and in harmony and working together. And, and the people of Antioch can't understand. They cannot understand this other group. And so they, they get a new name. There's Jewish people, there's Gentile people, and now, and now there are Christians, Christ ones. The ones who are centered on and focused on Jesus Christ. The ones who point to him. The ones who in every conversation we have seem to bring up the name of Jesus. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always pointing to Jesus They lived in such a way that Jesus Christ becomes their name, becomes their moniker. That's our goal, right? That his name becomes ours. In fact, we've talked about this a couple times at the the end in in Revelation chapter 21. We see that we're all gathered around the throne and, and his name, his name is on our forehead. His name is on our forehead. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And for these early believers in Antioch, it was all about Jesus, so much so that they make a third group in this city. It's not Jews, it's not Gentiles. It's Christ ones. It's the ones about Jesus Christ. In the last part of the story, the story of Agabus and his prophecy, shows us, really shows us how at work in these Christians, these Christ ones, how the Spirit is at work in them. Agabus comes and tells of this, of this prophecy about how there's going to be a, a great famine over all of the world. And in fact, not long after this prophecy, there is. There's a, a, a flood of the Nile. Much of the farmland gets flooded out somewhere around 45 AD or so during Claudius's reign. And, and much, of the, much of the farmland, much of the crops are destroyed for a couple of years. And so there's a great famine, especially in that southern part of the kingdom where they're unable to get the food that they need. And this early church in Antioch, when they first hear this, it hasn't even happened yet. They've just heard the prophecy that it's going to happen. Their response, their response is to take up a collection according to their own ability and to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They take up a collection. They give all that they can. Sacrificially generous 
delightedly generous. They pick up a collection, they give it to Barnabas and Saul, and they send Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem with this offering. The story starts with Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem sending a verifier to Antioch to see if, in fact, this really is the true gospel. Sending a verifier to see if this is, in fact, really God at work in the lives of these non-Jewish people. Is this really the true gospel? They send a verifier to Antioch, and Antioch, in return, sends a large offering so that they might help the Jewish people in Judea and Jerusalem. God is at work in the lives of the believers in Antioch. That's what Luke wants us to see. That's what Luke wants us to know. That's what Luke wants to challenge us with, I believe. That's why the scripture is for us, so that we might see some of the marks of a true believer, some of the marks of the Spirit at work in us. What do we see in the church in Antioch that I hope we see in us, in you and in I? That the grace of God is so seen and felt that when someone walks in like Barnabas, they're glad. There's no denying it. There's no questioning it. They're glad. And that we're so dedicated to steadfast purpose as Barnabas called the Antioch Christians to be. We're dedicated to steadfast purpose. We're dedicated to training. That we'll go, we'll seek someone out that might teach us and lead us, that we will work hard to know what it means to be a believer, just as those did for a whole year, learning under Barnabas and Saul. And that we as a church, we as believers, might live in a sacrificial, in a delightedly sacrificial and generous way that we might give to the needs of those around us, even the needs of those who weren't very sure about us. They sent a verifier. They weren't positive that we were really part of their family. And yet, and yet they sent an offering. They were decidedly, delightedly and sacrificially generous. I hope those are marks of us as well. The worship team this morning is gonna come and lead us. We're going to sing a song that we already sang this morning talking about the gospel being shared all around the world. I was encouraged last week as we shared in communion together that there is no Jewish table, no Gentile table, but there is one table that we celebrate around together. You and I, both, the Jewish people and Gentile people, all believers together celebrate a feast on the body and blood of Jesus. That's our only hope. That was the hope of the Antioch believers. That's our hope here at Richland this morning. That is our only hope. Please stand with me this morning as we close.
by walls upon the earth from every nation tribe and tongue god calls his people forth all praise to the is the world unchanging is his word unshaken is our confidence in christ the risen lord all who bear his name unite to breathe as one we share the joys and Colossians chapter 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thank you for coming this morning.